A good Friday morning to you and welcome to Real Talk on this March 19th. Ryan Jesperson here alongside Samuel G. Brooks. We're feeling good. We got a lot of sleep. Well, I don't can't speak for you, Sam, but you I got a lot of sleep. You yeah, look you I'm look very refreshed. You today. look bright and chipper and refreshed and ready to rock in time for what promises to be a great show. I was I didn't want to interrupt Ayla Brooke and the sound men there. I was we were, we were jamming out to the pre-show. Music. I was ready I mean, we, to uh, yeah. to let it let it let it roll for a while. Yeah. We're alone in this big building by ourselves, typically at this point in the morning, and we've got these great studio monitors. What's the official word for them? They're studio monitors, monitor but, speakers. But yeah. yeah, yeah, monitor speakers, because I think like, you know, plebs like us, the, the ignorant is plural ignoramus. Would that be ignorami? It's like you've got the Illuminati and the ignorami. There's probably actually a word for it, and I, I, I bet you actually everybody in the, the live Illuminati chat. Illuminati and the Ignorami sounds like a uh, like some sort of uh, experimental electronic album. Yeah, or or kind it could of. be some sort of like you know how there's the professional. Uh, okay, I'm about to sound 95 years old, which is fine. Shout out to all the 95 year olds tuned in this morning. There's, I'm sure there's a few of them. I bet there's at least one. Yeah, and you're an absolute rock star, and that's absolutely incredible and amazing. Uh, I saw a photo last night on the on the uh, Oilers broadcast. They were showing a 97 year old dude. He's re- retired. Did you see this? The retired doctor. He worked at the Royal Alexander I, Hospital. I didn't see this, but this is in fantastic. Edmonton, yeah. and he worked at the Leduc Hospital. And they're talking about how this guy's just incredible. And then they show his. He turns around. And he's like he's posing like this. He's got his arms up like in the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Mr. <laughs> Olympia pose. And he's wearing his Connor McDavid 97 sweater, which I yeah. assume someone. Well, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone maybe gave him McDavid's 97 when he turned 97. And the guy looked like 60. He That's looked incredible. 60. I want to talk. I want. I, we need to find out who that. Guy, you know what we should do actually is stop being so lazy. And maybe we'll shoot a text to our good pal, friend of this show, Gene Principe, you know, one of the, the prince of puns, the star of Sportsnet's hockey broadcasts. What we're doing now by name dropping the corporation, the broadcasters, we're, we're buttering them up for yep. Gene to come back on the show or just to give us this fella's number and maybe we'll get him on the show. Um, but uh, yeah, so so the reason I'm, I'm bringing all this back, I was going to say it makes me sound like I'm 97 years old, but. There's these, you know, professional gaming is a thing now. Esports, yeah. Esports and people are and they're and pe- like outside of COVID, packing arenas. Yeah, like twenty thousand people will show industry up now. And oh, I know yeah. this is where I sound a little out of touch, but it, I, I, for a, a part of the wrapping my mind around it process, I'm going, what am I missing? Like they're they're playing video games. People are watching other people play video games. Why wouldn't the people want to play the video games themselves? But they're on such another level, right? It is. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, and, and I say this again, sounding a little bit older than I actually am, because I'm not a gamer. I'm, I'm part of the generation that would be into this, and I'm, I'm really not. But I also know that, like, some of the greatest, most creative storytelling out there is in gaming right now. Like, I think that part of it is just... You know, you sort of get led down this journey by someone else. And I mean, you're right. They're also far better. I mean, it's the same reason, you know, why, why do you sit down and watch the Masters instead of going and playing golf? You probably enjoy both, but for completely different reasons. See, Sam's always just dropping these wisdom bombs. He's, you know, uh, you know who we should get on is, is Chris Henderson uh, from Y Station. He's the chief strategist there. A reminder, Real Talkers, to make sure you fill out the complete the uh, why station the real talk question of the week we call it get real and uh this week we're, we're back to serious after we solved whether or not you know pineapple belongs on pizza 75 percent of respondents said yes uh, whether or not raisins were delightful or a they disgrace are. i believe it was again around someone's going to call fake news because i don't have the numbers in front of me but it was something like 75 percent of people said 
obviously raisins are fantastic. Uh, pants on dogs belong on the hind legs, not across the belly on the forelegs. Um, and, and then I saw Y Station yesterday on their Instagram story. It'll still be up uh, taking some of the questions that real talkers had submitted for the next round of tomfoolery like, you know, does toilet paper, should it cascade over the roll or should it drop neatly behind and under the roll? Uh, you and I have never discussed this. Yeah, I think it's come up before because I mentioned, you know, I've I've, uh, I've I've heard the original patent for toilet paper shows it going over the front of the roll. Ah. And that is what I go off of the patent for toilet paper. So they established a patent office before they established the need to wipe your ass. <laughs> I guess the so. patent <laughs> for toilet paper. Think about what we're talking about. The patent for toilet paper. Unbelievable. Let's talk about this week's what question were of the be- week. Can people in responsible and, and high pressure business scenarios that they were they were in there in the patent office filing for their patent, but they had to quickly run and use the washroom. Number two, what did they do? Either that or they just had like an unregulated underground toilet paper system that hadn't had any sort of like formal stamp of approval. There was like bootlegged toilet paper in the patent office. Probably. Oh, my gosh. It's the patents that didn't make it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Took me a second, but nicely done. Yeah. So so here's this is one of my favorite things to do with pals is when we're talking, especially just being a couple of morons. Um, sorry, Sam, but, you know, we're just no, having, that's accurate. We're just, we're just having fun. The truth, what happened, the, the real truth, what happened and we love when our shows, our live shows vis-a-vis also our podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for rating our podcast. Thanks for telling all your friends. Um, sometimes we're, we're we're taking big swings at pitches to bring you the best guests of any daily news show in Canada, any daily digital news show in Canada. You see how I just kind of checked myself just a little bit there. So people don't start tweeting. Does Jesperson think they're bigger than the national? (laughs) No, we don't. But we swung big at a couple of pitches out of the gates. I won't say who they are because we're still working with both their teams and both of them literally to the last minute. Sam heard me go, oh, man, four minutes before we went to, four minutes before we went live. The interview did not work out, which is totally fine. It just means that you and I get to hang out and have fun. Live, and live broadcast is like that. It's the way that it is. Oh, yeah. And it's totally fine. But it means we get to screw around and have a great time and have a few laughs and prepare for what's going to be a serious discussion coming up in about 20 minutes time. We've got we're going to be talking about. About, uh, you know, the, the crimes that we've seen targeted, you know, I have to I have to use words to be responsible here in furthering the dialogue. I have to say things like incidents that appear to be or incidents that are alleged or incidents where police are investigating whether or not. But let's let's call them what it is. Um, the, the 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 senseless and tragic and, and infuriating violence uh, targeted at Asian-American women. Um, down in the southern United States this past week, the the senseless and heartbreaking killing of uh, women. I mean, we can talk about violence and racism targeted at Asian uh, Canadians, Canadians and Americans of Asian descent. And we can also talk about in the bigger picture um, violence against women. And we're going to have a meaningful conversation today. And I know and I have no doubt that it's going to be a moving conversation uh, with our panelists that have agreed to join us. We're. Um, I'm very grateful that uh, a cultural anthropologist and an author 
out of the University of California at Berkeley. Dr. Lok Su has agreed to join us. Uh, She has literally written the book on the Chinese diaspora. She's done a ton of research and, and written papers recently on violence ramping up and uh, expressions, different expressions of racism um, in different forms is what I'm saying, um, increasing through COVID-19, in particular in the United States. And we're looking forward to her perspective. Um, Polly watchers, those of you that are following politics in the province of Alberta, no doubt remember the name Teresa Wupa, a, a former Tory MLA in the province of Alberta. She's the founder of a group called Act to End Racism. She will join us, as will Raja Maggie, who's the co-founder of a group called Political Divas, and she's the vice chair of a group called Parity Y.E.G., Parity Yeg. So uh, it should be a good conversation for about an hour uh, coming up at uh, in about 20 minutes time, that'll be about nine o'clock mountain, 11 o'clock Eastern. If you're watching or listening live, this is probably a good time to let everybody know, Sam, that we are going to cool our jets uh, for about a week. Uh, we're going to take our first week off air with Real Talk starting on Monday. That's going to be Monday, March 22nd. And so Real Talk will go uh, black, as they say, we will not broadcast those five days. Uh, you will see me in I action. I can put like a test pattern up if you want. We could put like the bars and tone. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> I used to love bars. and I used to love as a child of the 80s waking. My parents weren't always like super, super strict. My parents were, were my parents like they, they ran a tight ship, but they allowed us to kind of like color yeah. outside the lines every once in a while and so they wouldn't always crack down if they, I, they have to have known they have to have heard me sneaking up we had this like rolling french glass door and, and, and it would kind of like if you did it slowly enough it wouldn't quite make noise but it was over tile floor so if it did make noise it would really yeah. resound but i'd sneak up like it and, and i'd always want to watch the late shows huge letterman guy i was mm-hmm. a huge letterman guy Plus all the sports. Yeah, that hasn't been an influence on your life whatsoever. We can't see (laughs) that at all. You can't tell. (laughs) And so I would just, I would just, I would slowly close the door. But it was always kind of a, I don't know, it was this peaceful, weird kind of a feeling waking up in a haze on the carpet, you know, having, and when I say passed out, I'm not talking from booze. I'm like 12 years old, but having passed out, like just exhausted from, you know, watching all the late night greats and then waking up to bars and tone. Kids these days, they don't even know what that is. That's true. They don't even know what we're talking about. I have a T-shirt that has the bars on it. Obviously, no tone, uh, but but it's got the TV bars on it. And every once in a while when I wear it, someone will go nice. Well, like people like me know that the bars are to calibrate a vector scope. That's actually what they're for. So when you look at um, when you look at when you look at a, a, a bars on a TV vector scope, which tells you pinpointed where each color is supposed to line up. So you can have true. So you can have true color. That's yeah. what the bars are for. See. <laughs> It's cool. It's super it's, cool. It's I, yeah. super cool. I just have nothing to add to that. Yeah. I, you know, for me, it's like big gulps, eh? <laughs> well, see you later. This show, this quality content is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. Bitcoin Well knows that you're paying attention to crypto. I was talking to a buddy yesterday. He's like, so what's the deal with this Bitcoin Well? I think he thought Bitcoin well was was like a, a, a place you go to like cast a coin in and make a wish like a wishing well. He was like, Where, what is the concept of this Bitcoin? Well, I'm like, no, it's a business. It's a business that employs like 40 people based out of Edmonton with Bitcoin ATMs across Canada. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, he's w- like, wouldn't their ATMs be like tiny Bitcoin wells? 
I mean, think about it. We don't need to get all esoteric. <laughs> and uh, so I said to him, I was like, are you what's your deal with with Bitcoin? What's your deal with crypto? And he's like, I just don't have time. I don't have time to figure it out. I don't have time to make sense of it. I was like, well, this is why you need to reach out to them. It's like a 10 minute phone call. They can kind of explain it makes sense to you. If your business, if you're looking to have your business be a little bit more financially sovereign, or if you want to learn more about what that means, the team at Bitcoin Well is eager to talk to you. You can find them under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We kind of timed out that uh, there was that little symbol solo that I don't think I've heard that before during the Bitcoin Bitcoin well mention. I wanted to keep it going to hear more of that. I mean, I I can play more of that ad track if you want. (laughs) That's okay. All right. Hey, before we go any further, I I, I actually have I I have a little surprise for you. I got something fun to show you. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah. Hang on. Oh, that's the right camera. There we go. Um, Can you pop open your web browser? And open up Twitter. We're going to do this live. Oh, geez. Oh, What's gonna, going on here? Oh, oh, oh. Just you wait. Okay. Uh, people are asking, where's the best of reel for next week? It's, yeah, ca- it's called YouTube. That's true. We have every it single exists. episode available for you for your viewing pleasure. And you can find the podcast anywhere. What am I doing? I'm okay, opening just up, open Twitter? up Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Are you showing this on screen? Uh, we will put this on screen. Should so. I open my DMs and everybody can see? Yeah, the... you should maybe go full screen there. Okay. Hey? What do you want to see? Yeah. So what I, what I want you to do is... In composing a new tweet, just hit that little gift button there. Oh boy, did you did you? And just type in Real Talk RJ. Oh, with the hashtag? Not not with the hashtag. Just type in Real. I mean, there's a bunch of tags, but you'll find it this quickly. Okay. Um, oh wow! Been working on a little thing on Whoa, the side. Oh, Samuel G. Brooks. What? <laughs> oh, gift wow. to your heart's content, Real Talkers. This is what we call. Calling it. I remember delivering that line. Wow. <laughs> In my opinion, he was just full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and of course, I mean, here. Okay. Well, let's send a tweet out here. Uh, the uh, intrepid, would you say Samuel G. Brooks um, has just revealed uh, a new cache of real talk RJ. Now, I, I, I spoke with Linda Huang, uh, who's an oh boy, expert. Are we going to go back into this now? Well, she's she's told me there's no room for debate. It's gifts. So okay, I'm going with gifts. Um, Linda knows all. Search uh, Real Talk RJ in your GIF search engine. What's it called? Like your, just your GIF keyboard, I guess. Key uh, in your GIFs. Yeah, in your GIFs. Um, and forever more may you rock real talk <laughs> and then we'll put a little like rock and roll uh i like the the sort of uh you know what i'm talking about you like the, the horns right yeah the you know don't say the devil horns i grew up being told not by my parents but by educators that that was all kinds of evil uh we weren't allowed to wear Varney france t-shirts at school the school i went to because they said it was the anarchy logo upside down we weren't allowed to wear Varney france uh okay so here we go all right boom tweet sent sam you have just made my entire day thank you so much i'm I'm glad i'm glad that this resonated with you the way i was hoping it would yeah thank you i appreciate that uh okay so there there are a lot of things that we wanted to talk about today uh i wanted to and and some of them serious and some of them not so much but what we do want to do as well is make sure that we have a ton of talk time for our group coming up so i just wanted to mention a few of our sponsors here uh, how excited we are to have them on board cannot be overstated Uh, the team at st albert and sherwood dodge knows that this is the time of year that you're starting to think about getting that 
that trailer out on the road, maybe dusting off the old fifth wheel. Uh, hey, listen, nobody's going to blame you right now for thinking that maybe now is the perfect time to go trailer shopping. Now, before I turn this into an ad for a trailer place, let me remind you that if you want to do this right, you need a rig to haul this pig. All right. This big bad boy that you're going to weigh down with your lawn chairs and your bikes and your waters and your beers and your barbecue briquettes and your big tomahawk steaks. And you're reading the tow rating of your current SUV and you're like, I think I can squeeze it. That's a terrible idea. The teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge have the best selection, bar none, of Ram pickups in the province of Alberta. Whether you want to go with the half ton, the three quarter ton, or my personal recommendation when hauling the big one ton Ram 3500. They've got different financing options available for you and the best selection at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. The team at Westworld Computers is ready to get you going with new gear. Your computers, I mean, it's making those sounds, those weird sounds like my old one, Sam, when the the, the cooling fan would come on and everyone would be like... And it's just racing. And it just sounds like, like what is it trying to push through Yeah, there? it sounds like me after running a charity 10K where you're like, that is not a good idea. Yeah. Jesperson, you're cut out for the 3K run walk. If your laptop sounds like it just ran a charity 10K, it might be time to call the team at Westworld Computers. They've got the brand new lineup, of course, from Apple Plus. They've got all that gently reused, uh, gently used, refurbished computer software reloaded warranty installed at Westworld Computers. The team at Friesen Brothers, ready to rock. May we please call up this photo? We love when you show some love to our sponsors and let us know about it. We've got this tweet yesterday, uh, and I just loved getting this one. This from Wurz, Wurbzy, who said, damn you, Jesperson. I just picked up the cinnamon and then all caps. The cinnamon loaf from Friesen Brothers like, says it's you could, unreal. You could call that six cinnamon buns, but it's more of a cinnamon it's loaf. It's more of a cinnamon loaf is yeah. what it is. And oh, what God, I recommend you do is get the coffee on in the morning. Set the oven to like, you know, not, nothing crazy because you, and you got to keep an eye on it because the icing can melt, right? You don't want to like, yeah, it's nice to soften the icing. You don't want to melt it. So I'd say set the oven at like 185 or 200, which is what we do. Put it in and then just sit there. Just keep an eye on it. Just, you know, I mean, close the oven door, but keep an eye on it. <laughs> that could have turned into a park power ad real quick. I'll tell you, these Friesen Brothers cinnamon buns, loaves, Wurbsy calls them loaves, are worth the trip no matter where you are. Their 15th Alberta location now open in South Edmonton. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Samuel G. Brooks, I faked you out there. You thought I might be going rolling hot into something else, but we got to give the I people what they want. I had another one ready want. to go, yep. You got to give the people what they want. Um, it, it's going to be, I think, uh, in, in the nine o'clock hour, um, a powerful conversation. And it's a conversation that I know has been on the radar for some people way more than others. In other words, Canadians of Asian descent, Americans of Asian descent have been sounding the alarm, quite frankly, for quite some time that uh, acts of of racism, that uh, that uh, pervasive racist racist attitudes have been surfacing and evidencing themselves more frequently Ever since COVID-19, you remember originally the Wuhan virus, President Donald Trump calling it the China virus. I mean, there has been this language that has translated into boycotts of businesses in Chinatown districts and cities. It's translated into acts of violence. One of our panelists, she's going to be joining us in about 10 minutes from now, posted a very 
powerful video uh, to social media uh, just a couple of days ago. As a matter of fact, it's it's been viewed thousands and thousands of times. Raja Maghe is a research and policy advisor, works in municipal politics in the city of Edmonton. She's the vice chair of research for a group called Parity Yeg. She'll tell us about that. And she's the co-founder of a group called Political Divas, and she'll tell us about that. But to provide some background, after these senseless killings uh, in the United States, these senseless shootings, as you know, police have a man in custody. Raja posted this. But there's nothing that compares to this feeling. There's nothing that compares to the fear. And the knowledge that this could have been you. This could have been your sister. This could have been your cousin. Could have been your mom. It could have been your aunt. It could have been your grandma. Could have been your best friend. It could have been your daughter. Nothing is going to compare to that terror. And that's what this was. This was an act of terror against our community. And I hope that going forward, you support our Asian community, you support our local Chinatown businesses, that you pay attention to their needs and that you revitalize these areas. And as we get out of COVID-19, as we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, we have to end this anti-Asian racism that has come out as a result. So again, if you need any support, someone from our team will absolutely be willing to talk to you. Please take care of yourselves today and look out for one another. I mean, that is real talk right there. And uh, that's real emotion. And I'm hoping, I'm not hoping, I have no doubt that real talkers that are going to be watching or listening to this live are going to be along with us on this journey. We want to hear your stories. We want to integrate your experiences into our conversation coming up in about 10 minutes for the next hour or so. So you know where to find us, the Real Talk RJ hashtag on Twitter. We're going to be keeping an eye on that. You can also, of course, chime in on our live chat. And I have no doubt that there's going to be pretty meaningful conversation. There are always these parallel conversations. It's, it's actually quite fascinating to watch. Um, and then you can send us emails as well, like Devin and Callan have already sent emails in this morning to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on, on all of those inboxes. The live chat is a fascinating thing to watch. That's new to me as a broadcaster. As, as some of this worked in media for almost 20 years, started my career in print and then went radio, TV, radio, and then this, you know, digital, new, modern media. I've never had, I've had access to audience interaction in different ways, shapes, and forms from the old school letters to the editor, literal physical letters at the Calgary Herald all the way through to emails into breakfast television or what, you know, typically viewer emails. That was kind of the birth of Twitter right around that time. And then the text line at the radio station where people could text in, but the texts were not. It was all vitriol. Well, well, yeah, but, but you couldn't, 
the, the audience could not follow along. Right. If the audience was able to follow along on that text line, nobody would leave their house. But but no one was able to interact. Our live chat, you know, we affectionately refer to it sometimes as the chatterbox on our on our YouTube broadcast. Sam is new to me, and it's really fascinating to see. It's 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 its own entity, quite frankly. And sometimes the audience is checking in and interacting with me as an interviewer or commenting to the guest. And sometimes they're off on a complete tangent, having a different conversation. It's just real talkers gathering in community talking about what they feel like talking about. I have never seen anything like it before. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was I was thinking about sort of the evolution that you were, you were describing there and how, like, the newspaper letter to the editor is, in effect, like the OG Twitter in that, you know, that was the... That was sort of the one published square of social discourse that existed for years and years and years. Yeah. And oftentimes there'd be back and forth with letters. The problem is they'd take a couple weeks, right? There'd be a letter and then somebody would write a letter responding to that letter the next day and it would just, you would yeah. sort of these, so, you know, it, it, the, the, the live chat, the chatterbox is to me like we've always been having these conversations, but now they happen in real time right in front of us while our show is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. So we will keep an eye on what the conversation looks like with our audience through the course of this. Erica says, you know, I worry about what my husband might do if he saw somebody harassing someone else because of their ethnicity. He's gentle and peaceful by nature, says Erica, but he's also highly trained, big and very dangerous. That from Erica. Interesting comment. Meantime, you know, Fatima responds and, uh, you know, I, I think that it's contextual. I think it's worth mentioning that, that Fatima is uh, is a hijabi Edmontonian. She's she's a, a valued member and a regular contributor to our conversation. The context of that being that the city of Edmonton, our home city, I know that we have people that tune into this from all over the place, but our home city, uh, we have seen an appalling trend develop of attacks against uh, Muslim uh, Edmontonians, Muslim women in particular, and in particular uh, hijabi women. And um, so I think that this is a, is, a, is a really insightful comment. She says, if something happened to me, I would want bystanders to de-escalate and offer me support instead of going after the attacker. There's this guy by the name of uh, Manwar Khan. Uh, I remember interviewing him. You remember him. Uh, the, if you Google his name, you'll see the stories. He, he witnessed uh, what ultimately proved to be a fatal beating, a, a random fatal attack on public transit. And he was obviously, what am I going to say that's not going to sound Captain Obvious, but he was so impacted by what he saw and so sort of stopped in his tracks. And I shouldn't tell his story on his behalf, but I but I interviewed him shortly after. And the 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 feelings that he experienced and the the sort of torn nature of it. Do I do I jump in and try to stop it? What about my personal safety? What about I mean, the million things that go through your mind um, prompted him to actually start a group. To, to, to empower people to better understand how we can address and confront acts of racism, acts of hatred, acts of violence in our communities. This is something where a civilian can sort of be tapped on the shoulder out of nowhere. You know, you're you're on transit on your way to head somewhere to do whatever. And then the next thing you know, you witness something or you experience something that will change your life forever. And um, it's the type of thing that's that's worth thinking about. 
some random guy on the chat says you can't end violence with more violence, even if it makes you feel better. Man, oh, man, people are starting to write in and, and get personal. And, and I really appreciate this. Our roundtable will start in just a couple of minutes. This is a good time to remind you that the team at Park Power is powering our Real Talk RJ hashtag this morning. And we're going to be keeping an eye on that for your comments as, as we talk about um, some of the difficult subjects that need to be discussed. Park Power has been a proud community member, the province of Alberta, for, for about eight years now, and they've made a strong and significant commitment. It's what we love about what they're doing. 10% of their profits are shared back with nonprofits. You can help fill that tank. I mean, you're going to give your internet, electricity, and natural gas business to somebody. Why not make it Park Power? Go to parkpower.ca. You sign up. You use the promo code 2021-REALTALK. 70 bucks. Boom. Off your first bill. 70 bucks. You know, I don't know where you live, but basically that could be, I shouldn't even say this because prices fluctuate and this, that, and the other, but you know, that could be your natural gas paid for for a month, you know, all in. That's a pretty good deal. It could be your internet paid one month full, you know, commercial residential. They do it all at Park Power. The team at Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca wants to make sure that your furnace filter is getting changed as frequently as it needs to get changed. Visit cleanairclub.ca right now. You punch in the size of your furnace filter. Next thing you know, sometimes next day, they never told us to say next day, but real talkers are real talk. Yeah, real talkers are telling us. Yeah, they're telling us that they're getting them the next day. Uh, you you save money, you breathe easier. Bing bang boom with Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca. The team at Kubi Energy, of course, we're so grateful that they power our positive reflections each and every Monday morning. Again, a reminder: Monday the 29th will be the next positive reflections as we're off next week. Sam and I, and our massive team behind the scenes, very impressive operation. Kubi Energy. <laughs> is in the solar game tesla certified if you're going with kubi energy you know that there are electrical apprentices or journeyman electricians doing the install you don't have to worry about it plus they handle all your paperwork from the big to the small installations at kubienergy.ca sam let's take a quick look at what's making news on this friday morning Health experts are saying, at least in the province of Ontario, they're noticing an increase in the number of COVID-19 patients, younger ones that are requiring care. They say that there's growing consensus that there's a third wave of COVID-19 hitting Canada's most populated province. And they say that there's anecdotal evidence of serious infections skewing toward younger adults. They say that the prime age group of 40 to 75 is being hit really hard by this wave with the new variants that you've been hearing about being more likely to cause serious illness. It's a story that we're keeping an eye on. Meantime, the Americans say that they're going to lend Canada about a million and a half doses of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. It's a loan that will help provinces accelerate their inoculation campaigns as Canada faces this third wave. The United States also sending 2.5 million doses to Mexico. We want to let you know we expect to speak with uh, Federal Minister of Procurement, Anita Anand, as soon as we're back on air in the next week. And as mentioned, a man suspected of killing eight people at three Atlanta area spas says Atlanta's mayor was potentially prepared to carry out additional shootings. 
uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms saying that the accused's family had been helping police in their search, perhaps averting further harm. The mayor saying the situation could have been significantly worse. Mayor Lance Bottoms saying it's very likely there would have been more victims. And this is the subject of our Friday Real Talk Roundtable today. This horrific crime spree in the city of Atlanta, leaving eight people dead. Other acts of violence, expressions of racism across the United States and Canada. It has the hashtags Stop Asian Hate and Stop Asian Hate Crimes trending. We're pleased to welcome these three panelists for an hour's worth of discussion here live on Real Talk. Dr. Locke Siu is a cultural anthropologist and an associate professor of ethnic studies in Asian American and Asian diaspora studies. She's an author and editor of four books and many journal articles out of the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, Dr. Siu, it's a real pleasure to have you joining us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Raja Mage is the uh, co-founder of an organization called Political Divas, which stands for Democratic, Intersectional, Visionary, Anti-Oppressive and Supportive. Other volunteer commitments of hers include Parity Y.E.G., Parity Yeg, an organization looking to get more women elected into public office. Her day job, a research and policy advisor for Edmonton City Councilor Andrew Knack, who has just announced he will seek reelection this fall. Raja, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And it's a real pleasure to welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've spoken, a former Alberta MLA. She's the founder of Act to End Racism, the network, which launched in April to respond to growing concern and worry in the Asian community due to COVID-19 racism. Teresa Wupa, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, Dr. Sue, we'll begin with you. Uh, you're an American. You live in the United States. You've been studying uh, hate crimes, uh, targeting Asians, and have noted in a recent piece that we'll reference through our conversation today that these hate crimes have been on the rise. Uh, this story out of Atlanta, it feels terrible to ask the question this way, but how are you even processing it? Well, you know, this comes as, you know, a, a, after a string of um, hate crimes that are happening in the U.S. and Canada and probably all over the world, um, we're hearing cases, you know, in Europe, in Latin America, et cetera. So um, it's really been disconcerting in a sense that um, it, this really kind of the uptick occurred starting in uh, last year. And so this last string of shootings, the mass shootings is um, is what strikes me as the most alarming um, because it was targeted um, and because um, it was a mass shooting involving six um, Asian American women and two bystanders. So um, it's it's quite um, you know just frightening in terms of what's happening to our community. Um, most of the people that are targeted are um, the vulnerable populations of the elderly and also of uh, women. It seems that at least two thirds of uh, the reported cases of hate, um, um, violence, harassment, et cetera, involve women. And um, this is really uh, quite stunning. Um, we have to understand the roots of it, but you know, clearly um, racism, uh, misogyny um, you know, are involved here. 
you, uh, you you recently granted an interview to to the Berkeley News, and I wanted to reference this. Sam, we can show it on the screen. People can read it at news.berkeley.edu. Uh, in times of crisis, anti-Asian violence is an American tradition. Uh, this is largely a Canadian audience. Can you bring us up to speed on on the premise of this? Sure. And I think there could be many analogies that can be drawn between the American history of um, anti-Asian violence, as well as the Canadian one. Um, And I will just, you know, speak to my expertise on um, Asian American history is that, you know, this kind of violence, uh, you know, began as soon as Asians uh, arrived to the U.S. You're talking about um, Chinese railroad workers who came um, and who were, uh, you know, under a tremendous attack, you know, between 1870s and 1880s, you ha- we had 150 plus um, riots against um, um, Chinese workers, and they involved hundreds of killings. Um, uh, you know, thousands were expelled from their communities, and um, Chinatowns were basically um uh, you know, sat on fire and, you know, they were just sort of uh, destroyed, you know, overnight. And, you know, this is sort of the beginning. Of course, you had the legislative also aspects of um, putting in um, anti-Asian inclu- exclusion, um, the exclusion of Chinese that happened in starting in 1875, 1882, etc. Um, you have episodic, you know, repeated cases of anti-Asian um, violence. You know, you uh, after that, you had um, the the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, where they were, you know, absolutely targeted as a um, national racial group, um, and followed by the McCarthyism era, you know, here um, against the Chinese community. Um, you know, Chinese were targeted just because of their um, ethnic background, and they were suspected, you know, of um, their sharing the same ideology, um, you know, with uh, the Chinese. Chinese uh, in the PRC. And um, most recently, we have um, seen the post 9-11 uptick um, in Asian Americans as well, especially those who are of Muslim background. So we see over and over and over again. So this is not quite a, um, an, uh, you know, an exceptional situation, but rather just a continuation of anti-Asian racism that's happening. And that has happened in U.S. history. Teresa, we sometimes as Canadians, we can be guilty of, of looking at our American neighbors and, and sort of looking down our nose a little bit and saying, look at the problems that America experiences. And we excuse ourselves, don't we, from these same exercises of of self-reflection. We don't talk a lot about the way that that our in, uh, indigenous communities uh, continue, in my opinion, to be mistreated. We don't talk about Japanese internment camps. We don't talk about the many different examples of of, of racism in Canada and, and uh, of racism that has that has been pervasive through generations. Uh, you obviously noticed, I, th- I think, which prompted you to found the Act to End Racism Network. You noticed an uptick uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, where were you seeing it? Well, uh, I'm sadly so, I think in many, many places, and uh, we are certainly seeing it a lot more in public places, like in grocery stores, uh, uh, in our neighborhood, on the street, uh, in educational settings. 
so I think, uh, you know, where people actually have to go during a pandemic. Uh, I would like to concur with your, what you just said, uh, Ryan, and also Dr. Sue. Uh, our, our history, actually, between Canada and the United States are actually very similar. Uh, I think that the way we talk about it, uh, or not talk about it also, I think is, is I, I, th I think have been uh, recognized. And uh, so we tend to be a little bit more subtle, but then the history and the facts are there and they're very, very similar. And uh, so um, um, I, I, and also being a fourth generation Chinese uh, uh, on, uh, on the land of North America uh, with great grandfathers that came to work on the railroad as laborers. Uh, but then my father did not get to meet my grandfather until he was 41 at the old Calgary airport. So uh, I know actually the history of racism very well. And, uh, and also as an anti-discrimination trainer in the 90s, uh, you know, we know it is, uh, it is actually in people's everyday lives. And uh, when, when I was a school board trustee, uh, you know, people from different systems call me when their children are bullied. Uh, and uh, so we know it has always been here, but we never had um, really the, the platform and sometimes the courage uh, to really talk about these very difficult issues as minorities. Raja, you posted a video to your uh, Twitter. Uh, it was absolutely moving. And with your permission, I'd like to actually roll it right now, if that's okay with you. And, and then I'd like to ask you about it because this is raw. I mean, this is, you know, we call this show Real Talk. This is real talk from you, Sam. Are we good to go on this? Let's roll this from a couple of days ago. I felt an overwhelming amount of support from people asking me how I'm doing but there's nothing that compares to this feeling. There's nothing that compares to the fear and the knowledge that this could have been you. This could have been your sister. This could have been your cousin. Could have been your mom. It could have been your aunt. It could have been your grandma. Could have been your best friend. It could have been your daughter. Nothing is gonna compared to that terror. And that's what this was. This was an act of terror against our community. And I hope that going forward, you support our Asian community, you support our local Chinatown businesses, that you pay attention to their needs and that you revitalize these areas. And as we get out of COVID-19, as we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, we have to end this anti-Asian racism that has come out as a result. So again, if you need any support, someone from our team will absolutely be willing to talk to you. Please take care of yourselves today and look out for one another. So you're offering support to people, but this is obviously very personal for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it was really important to display that emotion. Um, a few, you know, hours after posting that, I was really conflicted because I was like, oh, people are going to think I'm emotional because I'm crying on and, and maybe they'll think I'm less qualified to speak on this issue or any other 
political issues for that matter. But I think it's important to look at the emotional impact that this will have on people, specifically Asian women, because for centuries we have been sexualized. We have been dehumanized and objectified in really dangerous, dangerous ways. And now it's impacting our lives. It's literally putting our lives at risk. So, you know, offering support is also showing your emotions. And I think, you know, a lot of Asian immigrants, we have the tendency to, you know, put up that thought we can fit into the model minority myth. Um, we are so deeply embedded into the idea of resilience, but we don't let the cracks show. And that's what we need to start doing so that people can really see what is happening to us emotionally, what's happening to us physically and mental toll that is taking on our community. Dr. Sue, what, what sort of power does a, a public expression of, of grief and empathy uh, like we saw there from Raja, what sort of an impact can that have on, on society, on a community? I think it humanizes the situation. Um, you know, this is clearly um, a deep sense of fear um, that is being shown and a sense of empathy and a sense of what's really happening to um, the Asian American, Asian Canadian um, communities here. Um, and I think it's it's wonderful that we're able to show um, the full aspects of our humanness, you know, not necessarily just um, always, you know, be uh, ready to perform as if, you know, we are, um, are, are emotionless or whatnot. You know, these things do affect us, you know, they, they, they affect us deeply. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate the rage and the anger, you know, that um, people are showing also, you know, against these hor horrific, senseless attacks. Um, and we need to we need to get that out there. You know, it's not just um, thoughts and histories, but it's happening in real life um, and it's having an impact on everyday people. Teresa, so you, you, you know, the name of your group, I love that the very first word is act, you know, act to end racism. How do we begin? I, I suspect that conversations like this are very important. And I suspect that people making an impact on very personal levels on, on, on the front line, so to speak, in their communities and their groups of friends is big. But how do we begin to act to end racism? Well, um, as community members and also as women, uh, we, we are often the caregivers. Uh, and uh, so when we actually start receiving phone calls from people asking me, uh, sharing with me first about the, the, their experiences with uh, racist acts uh, being targeted. And then the question was, who's doing, is anyone doing something? What are we going to do? And from there, I start having conversation with people across the country. And uh, so the first thing, you know, uh, we, we started to do was to provide support to the community, knowing some of the challenges we have, because people uh, have been living in fear for quite some time. And, uh, and a lot of the women that, uh, uh, that uh, you know, uh, are so fearful right now also happen to be located in uh, precarious you know, uh, uh, job situations. So uh, the first thing we did was actually to provide uh, resources uh, for our communities. Uh, here in Calgary, 
most of our ethnocultural groups have absolutely no access to resources, to public resources, to actually to to actually build capacity and properly support their their community. So we actually developed um, uh, comic strips that teach people how to to react to uh, uh, racist incidents. Uh, what can they do uh, with uh, young people if they were targeted uh, in in an education setting? We developed infographics in seven different languages. We set up a uh, a reporting line. Uh, but now you know what we are actually. Uh, collaborating with the University of Calgary, not to look at the, the psychosocial impact because a few other groups are doing that. We want to study why is it that Asian Canadians don't report their experience? Why are they so fearful that they're afraid to even pick up the brochure about you know, how to actually respond to discrimination. Uh, and uh, they, uh, the Vietnamese women, the Korean women that we're working with now, are now uh, they are now opening up and sharing their experiences but they would not let us write it down. This deep-seated uh, know, uh, uh, distrust with our institutions are well-documented by Statistic Canada and, uh, and Angus Reid Institute recently and in many other places. So I think that it is time for us to actually recognize that this is real, this is hurtful, uh, and, uh, it, and there's a sense of urgency that we have to do something. And the onus is on all of us but especially our, our public systems. Raja, what sort of responses did you get when you posted, when, when, when you wore your heart on your sleeve and, and, and you let your emotions show and, and you made this impassioned plea to support businesses and to provide supports for, for fellow community members? What, what did people tell you? Yeah, so I started getting a lot of responses from people saying that they were feeling the same way, but that they couldn't express it and that they were really grateful that someone did express the grief that they were feeling and the sadness, the anger, the rage. And then I also got uh, comments from people talking about the hate crimes that they, you know, witnessed or heard about from family members, even experienced. Um, My friend, her grandfather gets verbally assaulted on his daily walks, but doesn't, you know, do anything about it because it's just a, a group of racist kids and it's hard for him to figure out, you know, how to report something like that as well. So hopefully the next piece in this can be education. I want to I want to invite all three of you to respond to this. And by the way, please do feel free to to interact with one another. You don't have to wait for me to ask you a question. But but Dr. Sue, I want to put this in front of you first. I'm obviously not going to identify who these people are, but I want to read portions of two emails um, that I email exchanges that I was part of this week in speaking uh, with uh, women uh, who are working uh, directly on uh, confronting, addressing um anti-Asian racism. One of them wrote back, thank you for your email and the invitation to appear on your show. We unfortunately do not and cannot do video interviews in order to protect the safety of the women doing this work. That was one of them. Another said, thank you for raising awareness on our issue. It's much appreciated. We have worked on raising awareness last spring and nobody seemed to care. Nobody believed it. Media picked it up because it was a new 
human interest story and then dropped it. Well, street harassment and abuse and hate crimes continued. Myself, the Asian community in our eastern Canadian city and other Asians across Canada have been tirelessly trying to get people, the police, governments on all three levels to listen. And as I have publicly said in past, why must someone die for people to pay attention? I have no interest in being part of a media storm caused by the deaths of Asian immigrants. It's too little and it's too late. And it won't bring back those women in Atlanta, nor will it give back peace to countless Asian immigrants across North America. Dr. Sue, you're, you're nodding as you hear these emails read. It's, um, I can hear, I understand um, what, how they feel. Um, I understand the sense of outrage that um, it's taken so long um, to get this public attention. Um, as I mentioned, this is anti-Asian racism is not new. Um, and we could have and should have addressed this much more forcefully um, for much longer. I mean, we have to wait until this moment uh, for a you know series of um, anti-Asian attacks to acknowledge that there is anti-Asian racism. When you look at history, there's so many instances and we keep repeating, repeating, repeating it. And um, it, there, I mean, I, I empathize with the kind of dismay, you know, with the state, um, with local government, with federal government, um, in our education system for not addressing this much more forcefully, much more boldly than we should. Um, we need to transform the system. And it's not just anti-Asian, but you know, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous, anti-Latinx, um, et cetera. And there's, there's a system of white dominance in our societies that prevail and you know racism affects all of us and we need to address it head on if anything that this last year has shown us you know we we just cannot accept this anymore and i really hope that we 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 take this opportunity to examine ourselves you know as a as countries um and you know this is this is really a global issue here you know of how we understand um racism and how we need to just cut it at the root Teresa, what, what impact did those emails have on you? Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, mm. I'm, 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 I was glad to hear that, uh, you know, there's a platform for, for them to at least to share, even if not in public. Uh, and um, uh, I think I, I just like to take a moment to acknowledge it actually has been I've been doing this now for a long time, but especially on a daily basis since last April, last March. But this week have been very, very difficult. Mm. Um, so some of the women I know actually, <clears throat> we gave each other a break on Thursday. Um, was it Thursday? No, on, on Wednesday. So um, because it was so difficult to even talk to each other. And uh, I think it, it has been very difficult. Uh, and uh, when you were describing those um, uh, messages, uh, I was reminded that uh, I have received death threats. Uh, in the 90s, when I was talking, you know, softly about racism, people's experience with the different institutions. And um, uh, so uh, people need to understand uh, the, the human toll uh, on, on, on the community, on the impacted family, the impacted community. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, 
you know, the Asians uh, in North America who are being targeted, um, their sense of fear, there's uh, lack of um, security, uh, the questioning about, you know, whether people actually uh, recognize they need, they're in need of support um, are taking less seriously. And, and, uh, and you know, uh, we've been here for 160 years and it is additionally sad that you also begin to question, um, do people care? Why is it people still don't understand? Do we belong? And, uh, and you know, it's another time that um, we keep thinking, well, this is the time our, our, our uh, leaders in the country are, are going to tell us whether we matter, whether we deserve equality, uh, whether, you know, we belong. So it is, it's of course, the, the people who've been spat on and stabbed and, and threatened and yelled at and killed, they are people's children. Uh, they are people's spouse and partner, sister and mother and grandmother. And it hurts the same way, regardless of your race. I think it is, it's time people recognize that anti-Asian racism is the same as other forms of oppression and, uh, and, 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 and racism. Teresa, I know that, uh, I mean, this is, you know, you as a, I don't know if you're ever truly a former politician, but you're a, you're, 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 you're not holding elected office currently. Although I suspect if you wanted to get a seat back, I don't think you'd have any problem doing it. Let me say this as a politician, you, you, you can, you can recognize the combustible nature of some issues. Pipelines are one of those issues. And when you start talking about meaningful consultation with indigenous communities, oftentimes you will see uh, systemic racism infusing itself into the conversation uh, along the lines of, you know, uh, well, I don't even want to verbalize it, but it's, it's obvious and, and people can research it themselves and look into it if they've not been slapped in the face by it before. But I, I've heard politicians say there's no way that you could ever build a railroad across the country these days they've said it and they may be right and probably one of those reasons is because of how asian people were treated and and how many died uh, in the construction of the railroad across canada i mean i just think it was it was remarkable when i heard politicians say that on the record either unaware or completely ignoring the history of how the railroad was built. Well, our history has been ignored. Our, our uh, present time uh, uh, contribution is often uh, overlooked, uh, not recognized. Uh, and uh, so, um, uh, you know, and then you look at even the history books, right? Uh, the, the picture of the last spike, who was there? Not one image of, of Chinese. Who, who play a big role in building that uh, and die for, for our, our, you know, uh, the connection uh, through that railroad. So I think that uh, that really speaks to how a lot of the current um, time situation is perpetuated by our systems when our curriculum do not reflect our history, our presence, our participation and contribution, when our government actually would not do the hard work of critically examining the, uh, the biases, the assumptions uh, that are behind the, uh, you know, long held 
Oh, thank you for the image. Uh, for uh, the long-held, um, you know, uh, 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 beliefs uh, behind the policies and the practice, and and really develop the strategies to make those changes in a sustainable way. So I think that it is time uh, of reckoning. I think for all of us, and uh, to look at, um, you know, uh, uh, you know who who, you know, the community that's that's grieving and in pain, and who is actually uh, lending the support. Um, so, yeah, I think it is, um, we, we try to be constructive. We have to uh, moving forward, but we have to be honest with our past and we have to be honest with our present so that we can actually have a more hopeful future. We'll be back uh, in just one minute with Dr. Lok Su, Raja Maggie, and Teresa Wu Pa. Wanted to remind you that this show is made possible by the support of our amazing sponsors, and that includes the team at McBain Camera. It's Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators. You can check them out at one of their six convenient Alberta locations or live chat with one of their experienced team members at mcbaincamera.com. While you're on the website, check out that Nikon Z50 camera. This is how you can get stunning 4K Ultra HD with 1080p slow motion. It's got time-lapse mode so you can shoot like Sam and so much more. Plus, you can flip down the LCD screen to activate self-portrait mode, which is perfect for selfies. They've got an ability with the Nikon webcam utility to live stream from zoom twitch youtube and more like a pro and when you order the nikon z50 body or the full kit at mcbaincamera.com enter the promo code real talk one word at checkout to receive a free promaster hitchhiker tabletop tripod with your order also wanted to remind you that the dogs in our household in the jesperson household moses our boxer and monroe our black lab love their grand dog essentials quality raw food they're both on specific programs monroe's on blueberries right now we got that tip from the team at grand dog they love consulting with their customers they've got nutritional experts on staff oh and they deliver the quality raw food frozen to your door in edmonton calgary and across central alberta check them out online at granddog.ca the promo code real talk gets you 10 percent off your first order I'm so grateful that Dr. Locks, you out of UCAL Berkeley, uh, Raja Maggie of uh, Parity YEG and uh, Political Divas. I want to talk about that coming up right now out of Edmonton and former Alberta MLA founder of Act to End Racism. Teresa Wupa, our guests on this live Friday edition of the Real Talk Roundtable here. Uh, Raja, you would I would imagine see people from from all different walks of life and all different circumstances in your advocacy work, um, really endeavoring to see more people from marginalized communities, more people from minority communities, more women uh, involved in the political process. Uh, I love that we have Teresa and you both here to participate in that conversation through two different lenses. But but how does that relate uh, in your mind to the conversation that we're having here today? Yeah, so first off, we have been trying to get women elected in general. You know, right now on city council, there's only two women sitting in council chambers, and Edmonton has never had a racialized woman elected as a city councilor. Edmonton has only ever had one female mayor. So when it comes to representation, we have a really long way to go um, because, you know, when you have better representation than you can better serve the general population as well. Um, when we talk about these things politically, you know, you'll have politicians 
say happy lunar new year but won't speak out against these acts of racism and the increased hate crimes that we're seeing so you know we're also going into election year so looking into that and seeing who's really standing up for our communities is going to be really important personally for me and i know that um my boss, I know that Councillor Andrew Nack, he posted about, you know, the shooting in Atlanta. And it was on his Facebook, and I couldn't help but look at the comments. We saw people saying the words virtue signaling or that it wasn't a racist attack at all. Then how do you explain the fact that six Asian women died and that it was targeted against Asian women? What does your definition of virtue signaling mean when it's risking the specific lives of these demographics, not just, you know, women, Asian women, but workers who are put in very precarious situations because they're doing what they need to to survive. So we need to be having those conversations in our political spheres about how we're going to look after these. Um, uh, someone's got an email, uh, doctor, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the politics in the United States, I mean, geez, when you say that everyone goes, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. Uh, but, but I do, I, I can say that, that as your Northern neighbors, uh, most of us are thrilled that there is some stability back at the white house. I don't think you have to be a, a democratic supporter to appreciate that it's been a turbulent four years or so for the United States. Um, Kamala Harris, America's first black female vice president, I think sets the stage to a certain degree uh, inherently by way of some of her campaign promises, her commitments, her lived experience to have some more of these discussions. And also um, in my mind for, for, for young black Americans to see themselves represented again in the white house, when you take a look at the, the American political dynamic right now, um, I don't know if we can describe any political dynamic anywhere as as healthy, but how would you characterize it in the context of our discussion today? Um, I do think that the leadership change has made a, a big difference. Um, you know, the fact of the presence of um, Kamala Harris, along with uh you know, a large group of um, progressive uh, women of color, you know, that are in our, our um, government also really, really helps. Um, the thing is, though, there, there are two things I wanted to say. One is um, the responsibility does not lie in one person or one small group of people. Um, it really has to be a um, transformative change across the country. Or else we just see this, you know, repeated, re- repeated again. You know, once the person steps down, or you know, this party steps down, or whatnot, you know, we're back to the same place. Um, that's one thing. I think that um, you know, one person can't do the job of you know millions of people. Um, the other thing is, uh, I think the continued trade war with the U.S. and China is still sort of haunting um, these, uh, you know, results of anti-Asian sentiments. And that still remains to be an issue. I think what happened in the past four years really sharpened those divisions. And unfortunately, um, everyday people, and and perhaps the rhetoric also, um, made us see there's no separation between 
foreign policy with China and the Chinese state and uh, the Chinese people or even um, Asian American or Asian Canadian people. You know, there's 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 seems to be a conflation, you know, with that. And so oftentimes what happens on the international stage between countries gets played out domestically among ethnic um, um, Asian Americans and whatnot. So those two I see as um, as issues that we need to acknowledge and moving forward um, need to work on. You you've written and and uh, and commented recently in that in that uh, the Berkeley News article that we referenced. People can read it at news.berkeley.edu on how economic structures and ultimately the, the entire model of capitalism actually perpetuates a lot of this this anti-Asian racism. Can, can you take us into that? Um, well, we begin with uh, the expansion, you know, of U.S. into uh, countries in Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, you're talking about wars, militarization elsewhere. Um, many of those instances actually, um, you know, results in migration. Um, you know, from from Asia and other countries. Um, the U.S. has always been uh, in capitalism, I would say. Um, you know, uh, the, the goal is to make profit. It is about capital accumulation. And much of the capital, you know, capitalist ideas is to create profit out of human value, right? And so you have these systems where race comes to um, define um, human group value um, as they become inserted into the economic system as um, with the goal of creating profit out of that labor. And um, you, you're talking about indentured labors of um, Asians coming to the U.S. Um, as cheap labor, um, as service labor, you know, early on. And um, I think it continues into today as a different kind of labor, but nonetheless, um, Asian migration is often um, a result of U.S. wanting and needing um, immigrant labor. And, you know, when that's when that's needed, it's all great. You know, they, they, they want to insert them. They want to um, include them in, and into the nation state. But the fact is there there is also simultaneously um, a system of nationalism, political nationalism that excludes you know, um, Asians and other um, ethnic racial groups. Um, it continues to be defined. If you look at the, the policies um, and even the foundational documents of our country, it is very um, based, it's based on white dominance and white supremacy. Um, so, you know, we need to acknowledge that in the political system. And so you have these two paradoxical forces happening. One of needing labor, but the other of not wanting them to be citizens. Hmm. You know, you, you talk about white supremacy and it's, it's, um, you know, I remember sort of my experience. I remember this, 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 I, I wonder what year it came out. I can search it as we speak, but, but places in the heart, it was a film starring Sally Field and John Malkovich, uh, 1984. So I would have been seven. So I, I remember, uh, watching that film and there's, there's, uh, it's it it's it's uh, basically the Klan shows up, the Ku Klux Klan shows up at this family's ranch, uh, and there's there's a black man that that lives there and helps the family and and I, my my memory is somewhat foggy, but I remember this being the first time that I saw the burning cross and the hoods and the 
and I, I just like it, 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 it stuck with me in a way that, uh, you know, as, as this white upper middle class kid growing up in the suburbs was like, wow. And so then you start to read. And as a young person, you start to sort of educate yourself and learn a little bit. But but that was always my understanding as a privileged white straight male attending private school, by the way, I kind of ticked all the boxes um, of, of what white supremacy looked like. That was white supremacy. And now we're having conversations as a society. And I, and I acknowledge that there will be many people listening to this podcast later or watching it live right now going, oh, must be nice, Ryan, must be nice that that was your only understanding of white supremacy. I acknowledge that. But now we're having conversations of, of systemic racism and white supremacy in institutions uh, like like law enforcement and like post-secondary education and in, in many of these different. And I want to just throw this over to the three of you. I want to start with you, Teresa. What's your definition of white supremacy or where do you see white supremacy? And why do you think that that it's so much of a bigger part of our vernacular and our public discourse now than maybe 10 years ago? Well, uh, I think that the, the simplistic answer is that uh, I, one group of people uh, believe that uh, their race is superior over others. And, um, uh, and, uh, and, and also it is actually reflected in our system. Uh, who has power? Who makes decisions? Who have power to, to reward? Who have power to, you know, to advance people's careers, to, to provide um, equal opportunities? Um, so it is about, um, uh, I think, an attitude. It is also about um, power. Uh, and uh, so and it is about power that have been uh, sustaining uh, what we're trying to deal with today. And, um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, uh, um, equality, equity for four decades now in North America. So why is it that we are talking about it as if it's new today? And, uh, and uh, so, um, you know, and, and, and Ryan, you mentioned um, the, the KKK, uh, the images of KKK. We had that in Alberta in mm-hmm. the 90s. You're much younger than I. So, uh, so we, we had it at Provost, right? And uh, we saw what happened in Red Deer. Uh, as counselors who used the N-word and got away with it. Uh, anti-racists, you know, were attacked uh, when they came out to, uh, to... So what would you... What do you think those images make the... Some of the Asian women who actually work in those areas as minorities, as women, think... Do you really think that they're safe? Do, do they really think that they actually have adequate protection when even the white protester, anti-racist protesters are attacked? So I think, you know, it, it, systemic racism, it is about power. It is about some very deep-seated ideology that people have this idea that white, this is a white country. And uh, so, um, and uh, uh, you know, it is their tradition, their beliefs, uh, um, you know, that counts. Uh, that actually celebrated, uh, that uh, frame all of uh, uh, in how everyone are socialized, uh, expected to behave. So it is very deep, and that's why we need deep work. And that's why the Act Foundation, uh, the Act uh, to to end racism, not only we're providing some basic tools to to people. Uh, our actually our reporting line, um, uh, those who have reported, over eighty percent of women. 50% require, uh, are asking for mental health support. So we are trying to uh, not only to provide some basic support where we can, but we also now developing policy briefs 
we also need to build the capacity of our community to interact with the systems. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Um, um, Xu talked about transformative change. And uh, so uh, when, when our system is, uh, when we are so underrepresented at the decision-making table, we have to find ways that we have a voice uh, at least somewhere in these institutions. And we have to push for that. So we're trying to actually develop those uh, 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 materials to build the capacity of a community so that they can actually uh, have exchange with our systems. We're also uh, actually producing five videos to counter a lot of things that uh, we kind of um, uh, uh, alluded to. Why, uh, why was Dr. Theresa Tam attacked uh, uh, being non-Canadian? And um, uh, somehow she's affiliated to China uh, when she has been serving our country for such a long time. And uh, that's because of deep-seated stereotypes uh, like uh, the yellow peril and the perpetual foreigner. Uh, because our race, our ethnicity, we are actually perceived as foreigners. Uh, but when 85% of the Chinese Canadian survey last year, they identify with Canada, they they believe in Canada, and yet Canada is, is not actually seeing them as Canadian citizens. So I think we need to challenge that. We need to talk about that. This is, uh, I'm so grateful for, for, for your, your candor, all three of you, and for the frank nature of this discussion. Um, I should note that you can tap into the resources uh, that Ms. Wupa is describing at act2endracism.ca. That's the number two, act2endracism.ca. I, I, I guess I'm surprised and I shouldn't be surprised that you say that 80% of those that are reporting are women. I think that probably most of the women that hear you say that are going to go, sounds about right. Some of them might think the number's a bit low, actually. Yeah. So it's actually it's the case across the country by other groups yeah. that are also collecting data is majority women. Wow. Raja, I want to I want to circle back to the words. I want to continue to discuss the words. And, and I can ask Dr. Sue as well. White supremacy, because the words make white people uncomfortable and they should. We're, we're, we're being challenged to have uncomfortable conversations. Where do you see white supremacy? Where do, where do you see it perpetuated? Where do you see it on a daily basis? Yeah. So when we talk about white supremacy, we have always lived in a white supremacist society. We're just, you know, talking about it now so i'm you know i'm relatively young i'm 21 and you know started working in politics when i was 19 and then i you know came to the very harsh reality of the systems that were in place that stopped women especially women of color reaching the same level of respect power and dignity as white men there's also something called the pyramid of white supremacy it starts at the very bottom with indifference and then can go all the way up to violence, mass murder, genocide, which we're now seeing. And each brick relies on the last one before it to build up to that big peak of genocide or mass murder and violence. Um, and we have sounded the alarm for decades, for centuries about what has been happening, even specifically when you just think of the anti-Asian racism that has come out as a result from COVID, people have been sounding the alarm. And it's really unfortunate that it only came to this, you know, incredibly tragic event for people to finally really pay attention to it, even though we have been seeing videos and 
horrifying pictures of elders being beaten on the streets without any sort of, you know, provocation and really doing anything. They were just walking to the grocery store and things like that. And, um, you know, something that's been helping me recently is doing a lot of reading, a lot of reflection as well. And I was reading Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. You know, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. We need to come up with our creative solutions and have those difficult conversations because maintaining the status quo isn't going to do it for us this time. That's a great quote. Scott's watching on our live chat says there needs to be a massive overhaul of our educational systems of, of human empathy, of compassion. Love needs to be taught. He says, this is terrible. Kim says, I just texted my teens and they got back to me. They said that they learned in school briefly about Japanese internment uh, while they were also learning about Ukrainian work camps. Uh, they have learned about residential schools in Canada, but have told me that they believe that it needs to go deeper uh, to Beaver. Uh, on our chat who has, has shared with us before uh, their indigenous heritage says if we emptied out every uniform that's more than two years old and refilled them with representation of the population we would make leaps and bounds on the issue hope says the, the RCMP the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was started as a means to control the so-called Indian uprisings just like police in the United States were formed to catch runaway slaves Police are referred to as race soldiers by the black community. Tracy wonders if the brains of racist people look different on MRI. Tracy says there's got to be something wrong or different with somebody who just does or does not get it. I wanted to read this quote as well. I thought that this I mean, how about this from Hope who goes on to say I'm not nearly as aware as I should be of the struggles in the Asian communities. I'm grateful to this panel uh, Greg says this conversation is reminding me of the James Baldwin quote. You told my grandfather to wait. You told my father to wait. And now you're telling me to wait. How much longer must I wait for freedom? Dr. Sue, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, uh, acknowledges that this is a nation that needs to heal. Uh, we were all appalled uh, on January 6th as the Capitol was stormed. In an act of domestic terrorism, Confederate flags being waved in Senate chambers. Can America heal? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, it is so important. Um, you know, getting back to the ideas of uh, the, the white supremacy, um, it's an ideology. And that's important to understand that it's, it, it affects, um, it can affect um, so many people, um, no one is immune to it. Um, it's the ideology is encoded in institutions, law, um, in the policies, in our economic system um, that fuels um, competition, um, representations like media images of how people are portrayed. Um, and, you know, these, so it's not just living in people, right, and, and, um, and how we respond. They're not just individual behaviors. They are systemic. They are embedded into structures that we live in. And that makes it so much harder um, to reform and change. 
And we're very grateful, you know, that we have people um, in the grassroots in different levels of government, you know, Raja, Teresa Wupa, you know, it's, it gives me just great optimism to know that there are people on the ground always working, you know, to dismantle um, this system. Um, and it, it is, it, it's a, it's a huge, um, it's a huge problem we have, and the U.S. has to address it. I mean, it's very sad um, with the U.S. in terms of the polarization. Uh, and we realize that it is, you know, when the former President Trump stepped down, that there are many, many more who support his ideology and support his politics. And that's what we need to pay attention to, too. You know, it, it is healing. It is healing everyone, you know, from a system of thinking that requires oppression, that requires putting down someone else or destroying the environment, you know, and, and all these issues. We need to really transform the way we think about what it means to be human and what it means to be a citizen, you know, of this world. And I think that I'm not an expert on this, but but I do know that attitudes can change and 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 i and i don't know that i want to say quickly in the context of 20 or 30 years but i know that generationally if you look at what were you know generally accepted ideologies um let me say for example the first one off the top of my head would be marriage equality if you talk to people in the 1950s and the 1960s how they felt about you know gays lesbians um you know the queer community having uh, access to marriage equality by way of of sanctioned unions um i would imagine that the polling would have been very low at least public polling people may have felt differently in the privacy of their own homes you talk to people now and there is overwhelming support for marriage equality that would be over the course of two generations i always have found it interesting speaking to uh people of indigenous heritage that have talked about the idea of healing over seven generations now that's healing from trauma but it's approaching it in the idea of generational healing um teresa is that how we approach this i mean in the in the understanding that conversations at home matter um, the, the books or curriculum matters. I know that a lot of people right now are paying close attention to Alberta's curriculum redesign. A lot of people are nervous about who has the keys to that curriculum redesign. How do we approach this, this attitude change that, that Dr. Sue references? Well, it's attitude change and systemic change. Uh, and uh, But you, you talk about the curriculum. Uh, so uh, when I was a school board trustee in 1995 to 2000, we passed the, we passed the, um, the, the motion actually uh, to, to actually to, uh, to develop more inclusive curriculum. Uh, it has not been done. Uh, so it's been 20 years. So I think that is also, uh, at least one generation. Why do you think? Uh, why do you think? What's, why so slow on, the, on that? Well... <laughs> I think that uh, I think it, it really goes back to uh, the issue of power of systemic racism. Mm. Who has the power to determine uh, what is urgent, uh, what what uh, deserve uh, you know uh, allocation of, of uh, limited resources? Uh, who sets the agenda of urgency? Um, it is not people who look like your panel today. And uh, so I was the first actually uh, Asian Canadian woman ever elected to the to, to the school board here in Calgary. So um, so I think that um, um, how do we actually instill that sense of urgency? I, I to a certain extent I understand it takes time. On the other hand, is I think that um, I think many of the communities are reaching the point that. Um, uh, uh, 
you know, enough is enough in terms of, you know, having people in, you know, dominated groups, uh, setting the timeline for change, setting the agenda without consultation and, and inclusion of the impacted community. We have to address that. Uh, in fact, I chose to attend this panel over another Zoom I was invited to by a group of people who want to actually well, organize a march. Mm. Uh, people, are, you know, when, when, when the city of Calgary had the hearing, public hearing on, on racism last July, not only we heard people who, who were, you know, dealing with the hurt, but people were also expressing their anger. People uh, were also expressing their frustration and disappointment. Uh, and uh, so, so uh, and and then we know our our system have talked about this over and over and over and again, and things dissipated after a little while. So I think that um, uh, how do we actually figure out how to hold our institutions accountable to the public uh, as we go through another round of talk about systemic change? I think those are some of the things that uh, uh, people would be working on, uh, and um, I think we. You know, I mean, I think Ryan, you were asking all the right questions uh, as to why things uh, changed so slowly. You know, when I was in government uh, and we were dealing with a, a policy framework to look at the issue of senior, which is huge because we we have a, we have aging societies. But you know what? Uh, the document that came to caucus uh, for discussion totally forgot about the immigrant seniors and immigrants of um, uh, racialized background because people were not at the table, yeah, right? So because I read the document, I always do my homework. So I raised it and, uh, and I was grateful and I you know, appreciated the fact that my caucus listened to what I said and they destroyed it, the 300 copy pre-printed material and, uh, and, and we did the, the document. But we have to be part of the conversation. We have to be in the room. We have to be at the table. And Raja, this brings us back to your mandate, your mission. Right. Give us our marching orders. What's, what's a call to action as we wrap up this this important conversation? Yeah. So really, we are looking at two things, supporting our community and then also making sure that people in power are properly representing us, not just, you know, when it comes to, you know, gender, race class and things like that, but also the policies that they implement. We have to make sure that they're representational of the Asian communities. I think it's going to be a real challenge for whoever is running in O'Damon, which is the downtown board of Edmonton, to really talk about how they're going to protect Chinatown businesses. And then when it comes to the community side of things, we need to start having more of those difficult conversations with people. I know it's, you know, it's scary at times, especially if they're friends or close family members or people you went to school with or things like that. But we need to not be afraid because who knows where that conversation could lead. Maybe it could lead to real change of heart for someone. Maybe you can find some candidates within your area who really, you know, talk about racial equity and how we're going to combat this through the system. Um, donate your time, donate money if you can, support them, look into your grassroots organization as well. And education, if you want to learn more, the information is out there and has been out there. So, you know, I feel like 
Teresa and, and Dr. Sue maybe may have more on that as well, but that's what I can do. Well, I'm grateful for, for everyone joining us this morning. Uh, Dr. Sue, we want to uh, let you know how, how, you know, I mean, hey, you're joining us from the Pacific time zone. You woke up early to talk to us and, and we thank you for that. We want to give you last word. You know, you're, you're, you're going to have Canadians that are going to download this podcast uh, and we'll be curious to know what, what our American neighbor, what our friend from California will, uh, will give us with regards to an assignment. What is it? I, I do want to reiterate um, Raja's points. I think she hit, you know, so many of them. Um, you know, it starts with education, um, not just in college. You know, we really need to integrate this, you know, through our entire um, K through 12 education and into higher education. Uh, we need to work on um, policies, make sure we are um, addressing our politicians to represent all of us. Uh, we need to empower our community. We need to make sure we support everyone, but also make sure that um, they are, you know, they're able to speak out. They're able to, we're able to cultivate leaders, you know, in our community. Um, and we need to transform so many of the things that uh, we're doing in, 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 on every level, you know, whether it is um, getting um media materials out there, you know, speaking out on certain issues, um, being present, you know, at uh, the table, for instance, we need to do all of that. I know it is, you know, this is a long list of things, but, you know, we all need to be involved. And I would just want everybody to be aware that they have a role to play here. You want to be on the right side of history. Well said. That's Dr. Loxu, uh, an author, a cultural uh, anthropologist. Um, you can uh, read her work online and, of course, uh, out of University of California at Berkeley, Raja Maggie of uh, Political Divas and Parody Yeg, of course, a researcher and staffer for Edmonton City Councilor Andrew Knack and um, uh, former Alberta uh, conservative MLA, Teresa Wu Pa, the founder of Act to End Racism, a remarkable panel. My friends, thank you for this and be well. Thank what you. an amazing conversation Thank you so much i'm so grateful to those three aaron uh, on the live chat says uh she says you know there's there's shocking anti-asian racism present in alberta's mountain parks and in the tourism industry and as a white woman traveling with japanese students in banff it was a real education says aaron for me it's here and it's ugly Rose says it's disappointing that not many men are standing up to support women in general. They need to discipline themselves publicly. We didn't even really talk about the role that specifically that men need to play. I mean, we could we could expand this conversation to talk about violence against women. Uh, violence against women and girls is up. As a matter of fact, uh, the Globe and Mail uh, crime and justice reporter Molly Hayes reporting just a couple of days ago, an annual report into femicide in Canada found that 160 women and girls uh, call it, you know, every every two and a half days or so, 160 women and girls across the country killed last year. That's an increase over 2019 uh, and writes uh, Molly Hayes in the Globe, a glaring reflection of the disproportionate violence faced by indigenous women. It's not necessarily an entirely different conversation, but it's a related conversation. And Rose is right. Men uh, need to be having these conversations among themselves and with others. And we'll have these conversations on the show. We make you that commitment. Megan, I appreciate Megan sharing this. She says dating is the worst. Um, I'm half white and I'm half 
mixed, says Megan, Asian and others. And I can't tell you how many times white men have called me exotic or said that they can earn their belts with me, says Megan. It's so dehumanizing. Hmm. I so appreciate these comments from real talkers on the live chat. I know if you're a regular podcast listener, we know that the majority of our audience joins us by way of the podcast from time to time. I encourage you, especially on roundtables like this, where there's a lot of conversation, Sam, it, it, it serves people well, I think, or it adds an extra element. Sometimes we'll hear from uh, listeners or viewers that say that interview. I went back and listened to it again. I've listened to that twice. I would say if you're going to do that, you're hearing this on the podcast, maybe give it a watch on YouTube. You can find the Real Talk Ryan Jesperson channel because the live chat adds such a depth to it, such another layer. Yeah, it adds a lot to it. And I'd also say that, like, I agree with you that I think that there's, you know, there's some of our shows that probably are a little um, ambiguous where you listen to them. You're going to get the same experience. But particularly when we're talking about subject matter like this, you know, where it means something to see their faces. It what? means something to see some of the pain that they're expressing. The expressing guests, here. you mean? The guests. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And then and then with regards to the audience. And then the audience just makes it that much more enriching. Yeah. People yeah. sharing their personal experiences, right? People really I'm 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 really impressed. I don't know if that's a weird word to use. It's meaningful to me how people really bear it all on the live chat. You know, some random guy makes a good point, you know, talking about representation of Asian actors and, and how Asian actors or characters are portrayed in film, for example, or on television, says male Asian representation is typically emasculating or relegated to the, the nerdy side character. Only very recently have you seen male Asian leads in romantic situations, which is true as well. Uh, if you missed our conversation with Andrew Fung, it was a while ago. What was it about a month ago now, I guess, um, from Kim's Convenience, just a wildly popular show in Canada that, by the way, has, they're, they're not going to do a sixth they're not season. They're going to do a sixth season. I, I was, know. I was I'm, so disappointed yeah, to see that. Too. But we talked to him about uh, the, the the race element of or, or some of his awareness um, as an Asian Canadian actor and and working on set. And then that show that that portrayed um, for the first time, really, generally speaking, I mean, all of the starring roles, it's about it's about. You know, Korean family, Korean family business. And if you know, you know, if you haven't watched the show, I encourage you to check it out because it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but Andrew Fung talks about this. You can find that in our archive. If you subscribe to our podcast or subscribe to our YouTube, it's there for you. And also just like what a success story. Like this was a this was a, a play in a fringe festival that evolved and evolved and evolved and is now, you know, a nationally syndicated hit show. Like it just it, it makes me smile just to think about the concept of Kim's convenience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great point. <laughs> this, what a compliment. Emma says, this live chat is my favorite corner of the internet. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. The I, I mean, yeah. Some, I, I agree with you on that. It's going to be hard it, to be without it, it next can, week. It can get a little, it can get a little, you, you, you all can get a little tough on some of our guests. You know that you're all chuckling right now. I know you're chuckling right now. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you get a little hard on some of our guests, but you know, you're keeping it real. The show's called Real Talk. I know you're not going to apologize for that. The team at Alta Moving and Storage knows that this spring, this spring is maybe going to be for you. Finally, the time you get off your keister and start thinking about making the move. The move you've wanted to make forever, whether it's upsizing or downsizing, but you haven't. Why? Because it's a pain in the butt. You know it. It's stressful. Who enjoys moving? Who is super excited when their buddy texts them and says, Hey, pal. And then you go, oh my gosh, they're about to ask about my pickup truck. You never want to be the guy with the pickup truck. 
I, I have a friend that moved once a year. He started referring to it as the annual move. Oh. And we would all just groan oh. when he'd say it. No, yeah. no. Only buy a pickup truck when your friends are old enough to stop asking you to help them move. That's my word of advice on this Friday. You know, you can just call Alta Moving and Storage. They make it nice and easy. They have the frog boxes, those eco-friendly boxes, plus the pod-style moving containers. It takes the stress out of it. Their business is finding solutions. Check out altastorage.ca for more on their moving uh, resources, plus their long and short-term storage. Wanted to give a shout out to the team at Eden Landscaping. You talk about who's chomping at the bit now that it's spring. It's the team at Eden Landscaping. They've been working through the winter designing, uh, re, you know, I'm redesigning maybe people's entire outdoor spaces, creating these Shangri-Las, if you will, these meccas, creating these paradises. Are you like me where you're just, you know, you're you're watching your backyard melt and just sort yep. of envisioning anything that could go in there? Yep. Well, right now what I'm doing is watching it melt and going, it's time to get out the shovel because we have two dogs. But then I'm, but then after that, then I'm envisioning Eden Landscaping's like, seriously, is are you working that into our ad read today, Ryan? Honestly? Sorry, but it's real talk. What do what, you want me to do? What landscaping company is afraid of a little poop? Fair enough. That could actually be their, their tagline on their new t-shirts. We'll take all your shit at Eden Landscaping. No job too big, no job too small. But in all seriousness, one of the things that they do that I know that their customers love, you can check them out at landscapeedmonton.ca. They do the design and they implement the design. They build it for you. You're not paying extra. You don't have to hire a landscape architect. They've been doing it for 20 years at Eden Landscaping. You know, I've been telling you, I'm super excited to be hosting the University of Alberta's uh, coming up the three-minute thesis competition. This is going to be absolutely amazing. It's coming up on April 1st. You can watch it live online. And then if you miss it, or if you want to hear more from the winners, the first and first runner-up, and the People's Choice winners, they're going to be on Real Talk, our Friday roundtable, from 9 to 10 Mountain on Friday, April 2nd. The winners, the champions of the 3MT Finals. You have a graduate student, or interesting people doing incredible things. There's 8,000 of them doing research at the U of A. They take their thesis, they take their project, and they boil it down to three minutes. So, so us commoners can understand the amazing work that they're doing, and then they go head to head. Very cool. Check out uab.ca slash 3MT, uab.ca slash 3MT to learn more about this. Also wanted to give a shout out to our friend Todd at Todd's Mechanical. I would say that Todd, of all the feedback we get, a lot of people love a lot of the Real Talk builders, the sponsors we have, but we get a ton of feedback from people that have called Todd at Todd's Mechanical saying he walks in like just confident. He walks in like he's seen it all before. And when all hell is breaking loose at your place, that's what you want. He's the plumber that keeps Edmontonians warm, dry, and keeps all the systems working. You can call Todd at Todd's Mechanical at 780-499-7598. Now, before we go, and we wrap up our Fridays with something special each and every time. And I want to let you know that this week's edition of Trash Talk is pure fire. Real talkers, you did not let us down in your emails this week to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I'm going to have to get Sam to like take over or talk for a second because I'm just going to I'm going to fuel up. I'm going to get my, my, my jaws ready to flap. And then I'm going to do my best to deliver your messages. A lot of you have like laid down. You just you've just paved pure heat for us. We wanted to let you know that Sam threatened to quit unless we took a, a week off. He threatened to quit. 
No, he didn't. He works around the clock for this show, and we're lucky to have him. <laughs> but we figured we'd better take a week off, Sam, because we knew we were we were headed straight for a brick wall. Oh, we're eighty-two episodes in. We're eighty-two like episodes uh, in a without exhausting. a break. Yeah. So we're gonna so we're gonna take a week, and um, it, because we can't stop working, I'm gonna host a conference for a couple of days, and you're gonna drywall your basement. That's correct. <laughs> and we're gonna hire a chase producer. So we're not really putting our feet up, uh, you know, but. But we are going to take a week off. So we wanted to give everybody a heads up. If you want to catch up on past episodes, this is a great time to do it. As Sam mentioned, more than 80 episodes ready for your viewing pleasure on our YouTube channel, as well as on our podcast. Uh, We encourage, uh, you know what I think people are going to maybe miss? And I'm opening up a can here because I know everybody's talking about what's this website everybody wants us to have where they can go talk after the discourse. Thing. Oh, yes. yes yeah, yes, we, yes, we, yeah. we signed up for it and we're kind of like looking at it. We're not sure. And, and, and we we're have, workshopping a few ideas. We're workshopping a few ideas. Yeah. But I know that some of you may miss this sense of community. Um, we won't be able to stay off our phones, so we'll still be available to a certain degree, to a certain degree on the Real Talk RJ hashtag. But but we appreciate your understanding. Sam and I will be back live at 830 Mountain, 1030 Eastern in the morning of Monday, March 29th. That'll be the first live show when we come back. Uh, you look like you have something to say. No, not really. I'm just chilling out here because this is because this yeah. is your last chance to sit because you know what I'm going to do here. I'm rolling into this thing oh, and, then I'm, and I'm yeah. signing off with I, I kind of went with I went with air drums last week as opposed to air guitar. It was it was a little shout out to I don't know how people felt about though. Now <laughs> now that you have a gif of me playing air guitar. Well, I mean, you've you've many, many a times uh, commented on how you feel much more confident as an air drummer than an air guitarist. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people, it, it people might are very, be related to you actually playing the drums. Actually playing the drums—that's probably it. But people are very, people are very critical of my air guitar. You know, so they're they're like, "How long?" Because I'm up here. You know, I'm up here, and they're like, "What is this guitar you're playing? Is this like an 11 foot guitar?" And you it's know, an upright bass. Fair enough. It's an upright bass, or maybe it's a novelty guitar. What do you know? Who are you to judge my guitar? Maybe I'll get started on my own trash talk right now. Now I want to go get an upright bass. I've always wanted to learn to play them. Now I want to go get an ice cream cone because the team at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park after 8 p.m. You didn't think I could do it. You didn't think I could do it. It was a quality segment. But I am who you thought I was. (laughs) The teams at Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want you to know that after 8 p.m. each and every night of the week, including tonight, you can mix and match Medium dip cones are Sundays for five bucks. That's right, five bucks and not each. Nope, total. Two of them mixed and matched for five bucks after 8 p.m. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also a reminder, they've got their loaded steakhouse burger. The loaded steakhouse burger on special through the month of March. The team at Local Waste loves to talk trash. They've been doing it for a quarter century, going head-to-head against the big garbage guys, finding solutions that work on a local level for business owners, for hoteliers, for mall owners. You know, everybody along the way, doesn't matter your business, you're going to have to find some solution to your garbage and recycling. Local Waste wants to manage that for you on a first name basis. Go track down Chris, Lauren or Mikel at localwaste.ca. Each and every Friday here on Real Talk, the team at Local Waste also presents a little something we like to call Trash Talk. All right, these are real emails from real talkers submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Angie says, uh, Ryan and Sam, please do not read this email. I realize it's defamatory, but I'm so peeved. All right, Angie, it was a good one. 
How about this one from Mike who wrote into the show to say, can we please stop putting plastic wrap on cucumbers? It makes no sense. That from Mike who had nothing to say about oranges, grapefruits, or any other, you know, fruit or vegetable that comes with its own packaging built in. Debbie says, what is with all the different kinds of toothpaste? Like, remember when it used to just be Crest, Colgate, and like maybe a couple others? It was exciting when AIM was introduced. Says, I now stand in the toothpaste aisle, staring at all the different types, feeling like an alien. Crest, Colgate, paste, gel, whitening, charcoal, sensitivity, gum protection. Oh, I just want to brush my teeth with a flavor of toothpaste that I enjoy. Not one that makes me want to hurry up the process or even worse, lets, leaves me with a dry mouth or some gross aftertaste all day long. Oral hygiene's important. Stop making it complicated. And remember to brush and floss twice daily. Thanks and have a great day from Dental Dilemma Debbie. How about this one from Rod who says the smoke is coming out of my ears again. It's a common occurrence with this UCP government. How dare Jason Kenney stand in the legislature and call concerned citizens against coal mining liberal terrorists. How about calling the people that want to destroy our pristine mountains and waters terrorists? He says, uh, or rather this is from Marie using Rod's email. Does Rod know Marie? She says, I'm part of a Facebook group, 35,000 members strong, hardly a terrorist among us, Jason. The people in the group are farmers, ranchers, teachers, nurses, lawyers, small business owners, and citizens. They're not terrorists. When will this government get over itself and actually listen to the people they work for? I'd like to send a gallon of water from our polluted river downstream from the mines in BC to Minister Nixon. Watch him drink it. I'd like to see the people of this province marching in the streets, because I guess after all, gathering in large numbers is acceptable. Look at the church outside of Edmonton. This effing government says Marie, her edit, not mine, put earplugs in the day they got elected and have never taken them out. This from Crazy James. He says, so Pastor James Coates of that Grace Life Church west of Edmonton released with most of the charges dropped? What the hell? He says, this goes so far beyond crap, I'm flabbergasted. All this does is weaken public health orders and it makes Alberta Health Services look like a joke. He says, y'all tell you what, because this pastor's white, because this pastor's part of the UCP base, looks like he can do whatever the fucky ones. Here's the solution. Since the government lacks the stones to actually do the right thing, this Sunday, maybe Alberta Health Services needs to send two dozen nurses to the church with vaccines for everybody. Poke them as they walk in. This batch of self-centered and self-righteous idiots aren't following rules anyway. Might as well make sure they don't get the rest of us sick. He says, my, oh my. That from Crazy James. And this one from Marshall, the angry wild roser. Really, Premier? Why are you letting the lunatics run the asylum? There's way too much baggage where you're concerned. Evidenced by the people you surround yourself with. Evidenced by your disrespect and disdain of your own MLAs who, quote, need Velcro shoelaces. Insider. Evidenced by the failure of Babylon. Evidenced by the need to sell off profitable registries. What old school progressive conservative is going to get that one? Evidenced by boosting car insurance companies' profits. Single-handedly the worst decision you've made yet. Evidenced by attacking the vulnerable in a evidenced by the fraudulent expense claims of MLAs and ministers, evidenced by the war room that acts like a clearinghouse for your political debts for cash. Tell me how this is different from Jean Chrétien's sponsorship scandal. Speaking of the war room, says Marshall the Angry Wild Roser, could this get any worse? Picking fights over kids' movies? Have conservatives learned nothing? Stop attacking. Stop reacting. Start controlling the narrative. He says, you know how little this makes us look? Wasn't the part of the job for the war room to keep us 
out of the mud as a government, you are killing Minister Savage. You, sir, are someone who's never led, always a follower, been on the taxpayer's dole your entire life. You have not done the one thing that makes Alberta great. Started with nothing, risked everything, lost everything, fought back, and won. That is what we do here. Albertans elected governments out, not in. Albertans don't like to be lied to. Albertans consider the worth of a man on his word. Albertans don't like govern them, telling them what to do. Albertans don't like it when you kick the can down the road. Maybe you'd understand if you were from here, says Marshall, the angry wild roser. And ladies and gentlemen, that's another edition of Trash Talk presented by Local Waste. We're going to cool our jets for a full week. We'll see you back live at RyanJesperson.com Monday, March 29th. Good night now.